a Pulp MX Network production. The only athlete-to-athlete podcast in the sport. Questions from a different perspective. The hard questions you want answered about training, riding, and being a professional athlete. Not only in motocross, but in other sports realms as well. Welcome to Shifting Gears, the Zach Osborne Podcast. Yeah! What's up, Brace fans? Uh, this is the Husqvarna Shifting Gears Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Osborne, and uh, this week I had the great pleasure and uh, honor of visiting Stefan Everett's home in Belgium and uh, sitting down with the 10-time world champion and just, yeah, having a conversation over, uh, you know, just uh, an awesome career and um, his plans for the future and his plans for his son, Liam. And um, it was a humbling experience to be there and just kind of see all of his memorabilia and and as an avid collector myself of memorabilia from my career or just motocross in general it was um quite a trip down memorabilia or memory lane for me it's uh it's crazy to see how successful stefan was and and still is and um just a, an amazing experience uh, as a race fan and also as a racer just to see uh, what a career like that looks like in terms of trophies and bikes and helmets and all the things. So um, thank you guys for listening to this Husqvarna Shifting Gears USA podcast presented by Scotia and Fly Racing and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Don't forget, guys, this is the Husqvarna USA Shifting Gears podcast. That means they are sponsoring us and keeping us going. So right now, Husqvarna Motorcycles has many different incentives to put you on the bike of your dreams. Visit an authorized Husqvarna Motorcycles dealer to take advantage of limited-time offers on the innovative street models, versatile dual-sport models, and even competitive minis for the kids. Check out husqvarna-motorcycles.com slash offers to learn more today. Welcome to the Husqvarna USA Shifting Gears podcast. Um, I'm the host, Zach Osborne, and I have to say that I'm a little bit blown away at the moment because I'm sitting in Stefan Everts Man Cave in Belgium, um, beautiful home, beautiful museum, and the collection of trophies and bikes and just memorabilia in general is unbelievable, my man. It's humbling. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a very big collection. I had a career of 18 years, and um, I've been also yeah uh, collecting a lot of things. You can see that in my house. It's uh, I basically saved all my trophies and all my um, presents and memories of of my racing. So it's uh, my 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 wife is not so happy with that, but uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. I, I have a, a long history in, in racing, and you cannot just put it away. And it's nice. If people come uh, inside my man cave and uh, I show them around, uh, they're all blown away. And it's cool to see sometimes the, the faces from the people and how quiet they get when they see everything. Yeah, I uh, I have the same battle with my wife. Like, she thinks I'm a hoarder. I don't know if you know what that means, someone that just keeps everything. Um, but for, from my career, I keep a lot of things. And uh, I think it's just a chapter that you, you know, 
even when you're done, it's it's hard to shut or, you know, it, it's your life. It's been your life since not only your 18-year pro- professional career, but also from a very young age. You know, it's it's 10 years or more before you even get to be a professional. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think it's also the passion that you have for something you do. And in our case, that's motocross. And, yeah, I mean, the, the passion, I think you take partly with uh, the rest of your life, even if you retire. Like in my case now, it's more than uh, 13, 14 years now so but still um, you know it's still there I still have that passion for racing and uh, uh, Liam is, is coming up now so another generation is, is coming through hopefully uh, so uh, yeah racing is still uh, on our table each day here in the blood I I yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't really have words for all the trophies and everything, but not only do you have 101 GP victories, but how many podiums aside from those do you have? I have don't no, even I, know. I, I, I don't even know. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, in the early days that I've raced, there was a lot of international races and supercrosses, right. and uh, we had so many races going on. Now it all changed. You know, they have 20 GPs, and you have a, a few extra races here and there, but that's not not a lot anymore. Yeah. So uh, back then, you, you had every weekend you bring you brought back trophies, uh, but this this time or at this moment it's not the same anymore. So if if you win a GP, you have a trophy, but that's it. That's and so. It. Yeah. The collection is not it's not getting that big anymore. Yeah, like it used even to be. whenever I first started coming to Europe, they still did like the flower wreaths and just little touches like that, or you know, nice champagne bottles or something. You have all those things. Also, that's pretty incredible. I mean, it's literally like a, a walk through your entire career. This this house is is so cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, Stefan, lately. You know, obviously, you have been away from racing since 2006, and um, we're working for KTM for a while, and and then with your uh, team with Suzuki. But um, maybe the most important thing that's happened since your career was last December with uh, malaria, and maybe the biggest fight of your life so far uh, for your life. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was very difficult at times, especially. When I was in the hospital in December, I was uh, on life and death uh, situation, and um, uh, for two weeks it was very critical with me, uh, but I, I finally came through. The doctors, they still don't understand how I've made it. I've made it back uh, because my liver and my kidneys they were uh, they were attacked by the the malaria and they were uh, nearly falling out. Um, But then I came through and uh, it was a a difficult uh, uh, way to come back. The recovery was not easy. It's still not done. Uh, The biggest problem is my feet. So because of the malaria, it um, destroyed my, my... my blood yeah and uh, so the blood was could not come to this clot uh, to, yeah makes yeah. it more clots yeah and uh, it was difficult to come into my feet and, and give uh, good blood circulation yeah. also on my hands and fingers so uh, I've lost seven toes they uh, amputated um, and still today I'm, I'm still suffering uh, with a lot of pain and I've pla- I have another operation planned in the next few days, just more like a cleaning up thing. Yeah. But it's it's still uh, it's still going to be a long way to to become a bit normal. And you see when I walk that I'm I'm still 
it's difficult to walk for me because for it's sure. still painful and uh, I have to be careful and it, it just keeps going up and down one moment it's better and one moment it's worse so um, I still expect it's going to be in another year at least another year before it's all said and done yeah, yeah. I was told by someone that it was made worse because you had lost your spleen at some point uh, yeah. during racing is that correct yeah a spleen is kind of like a filter uh, kind of filters out uh, cleans the blood yeah and uh, I've lost my spleen in 92 uh, at the GP in Northheim in Germany was that long time ago uh, I never had any problems yeah uh, I think the Coster also uh, lost his spleen in the past uh, you can live perfectly without it but in my case now with the malaria yeah it, it made it kind of worse the parasites inside the malaria had more uh, free uh, they free, could escape easier yeah they the could line. go more easy into my system and uh, attack my organs and uh, that made it a lot worse for me yeah I I, um, I don't remember who had told me that but I was texting with someone to kind of get updates you know because um, actually, Marvin was the one who told me about it. He saw it on um, maybe a French website or something, and then we were like, "Oh man, this is you know pretty bad." And um, I was wondering about that for a while if if actually the spleen thing was was legit. But um, I mean, it's nice to see that you're making somewhat of a full recovery as much as can be expected from your situation in in December and. Um, but it was you were there for in the Congo for a charity event, right? Yeah, it was a charity event. It was the tenth uh, anniversary for that event, um, and they wanted to have a, a special rider, special guest. So they they contacted me through some other people, and uh, I just came back from Jamaica from a holiday, and uh, I said, okay, why not? Uh, let's go do that, and and it was a fun trip. I had a fun time. It was very short that I was over there for only five days and uh, I came back home and life just continued I had no problems and like two weeks after I started to be sick mm. I, I became ill it's like it was like a flu I started to get really cold and yeah I went to the doctor he gave me pills for the flu mm. I was another couple of days here in, in, in bed and it didn't got any better and then my wife said something not correct here and then we went to the hospital and they checked my blood and immediately they saw it was malaria so from there on it just went really fast downhill yeah like within 24 hours i was yeah going into life and death situation and then they moved me to uh, to a bigger city here near brussels it's called leuven it's one of the best hospitals in belgium it's a university hospital and they um, they've put me on high intensive care and uh uh, they, they've done everything they could and uh, eventually they said it's up to Stefan now to, <laughs> to come back and survive yeah and you did and I did I did uh, it was a very strange period uh, if I think back <clears throat> when I was inside the coma for two weeks and they wake me up a couple of times and it's uh, really strange uh, dreams you have and uh, it was a very strange period in my life and I, I got another chance in my life so I'm here and to enjoy it even more now nice nice well let's move on to something a little bit more fun or lighthearted. and uh, I um, in America we have a very like set career path as far as what amateur an amateur kid or a young guy needs to do um to become pro or get on a team or get an opportunity but 
I don't know much about young Stefan Everts, and I've never really heard how you got started. Obviously, your dad was a four-time world champion, and he had to have some sort of influence on you getting started. Um, but how did you get started here in, in Belgium? Um, <clears throat> yeah, of course, the influence from my dad was, was big. I, I traveled with him uh, since I was a baby to the races and GPs uh, all around Europe. I even traveled you know, to U.S. and Russia and uh, other big countries when I was small and uh, yeah I, I always seen motorcycles around me so it was obvious that I, I wanted to race and uh, since I was a, a very young kid I, I knew what I was going to be what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and that would be racing that was when I was around six years old so I was very very young so um, yeah at one point uh, it came down that we had to start racing and that was around 14 15 years old i was and uh, we started on the 125 it was um, a youngster class for 15 and 16 year olds it was only national so only in belgium at that time we still had a lot of uh, big races here and local races now that's all been gone it's been washed away yeah. and nothing is left anymore here in belgium of of those races but i i just i just was lucky to 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 still have that chance to build, to go with those races and uh, the year after i jumped straight into gps so from the starting class to the gp yeah. i uh, like I a local I, national level to yeah, the world championship i didn't do any other classes in between so it was a very huge step for me to go into the gps but i qualified um in faenza in italy it was a very technical italian track yeah I qualified there on my first GP, so it was already a good start. And I've I've done all the the GPs that I've raced in the first year. I qualified and uh, I started to get points. And I even did a, a podium in uh, in Checo uh, together with Parker and and Bob Moore. Yeah, you just, showed me the picture downstairs. I showed you the picture really earlier. Cool. So I was just 16 year old uh, in my first GP season, one to five, and I did my first podium. So it was it was a, a great start. After that, I broke my wrist <clears throat> in some national race and uh, the season was more or less over but yeah the first three years of my career was one to five and then uh, 91 i won my first championship for uh, suzuki yeah. and that was at the first gp in japan uh, suzuka i don't know if you ever seen any i have yes it was more more road bike more road racing stuff yeah, but i know it was suzuki. very very humid something that we are not used to here uh, in europe humidity was uh, crazy high lucky we had a moto on saturday and the second moto was on sunday so we didn't have to do <laughs> a little it. bit of recovery we had a good uh, recovery night um and i i wrapped up my first championship there in 91 so uh and then after that i already moved on to 250 um so uh, it went quite quick the first stage of my career just went a bit too fast for me right so you wish you could have spent more time in the in the 125 or you you were happy to move straight away to the 250 or you think you needed more time to kind of cook and get better no i think i was ready to move to move to the 250 um because i i rode the 250 bike uh since since i was already 13 years old so oh, okay. i i jumped uh, up and down quite a bit i i liked the more uh more horsepower on the bike because it suited my riding style yeah. more um but also the team uh they had to move 
because the team uh, got changed. At first it was a one to five team, but that then they became a two fifty official mm. Suzuki team, and so I moved over. But I was ready for it. That was Gabor's. It was Gabor. So yeah. that was like in the sort of earlier times of their team. Well, <clears throat> it was when my dad raced. It was um, the eighties, and then Suzuki retired. They pulled back in eighty three. I remember. I still remember that day. And so they disappeared for five years, and then in 1989 they came back with the racing team, and I I was part of it straight away. So uh, Silva uh, restarted that Suzuki team together with Suzette Longo. Uh, he founded the team, and uh, I was the young kid who only had to build up experience and no results. I was not uh, the main guy; it was not possible anyway. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was also a funny thing was that my dad won his last championship in 1981 on a Suzuki 1-5 and I've won my first championship in 1991 10 years after his last one on also on a Suzuki 1-5 that's pretty cool yeah. that's uh, like just yeah something that you could never script that just just things that happen in life that's yeah. really cool you cannot plan that yeah impossible he, your dad was part you know sort of part of your career the whole the whole time yeah, most of the time, especially uh, as trainer or coach or just everything. He dad. was mechanic, <laughs> <laughs> trainer, coach, dad. Uh, he was too much, actually. It's it's uh, it uh, it was not an easy time. Uh, also, yeah, I mean, he was a former winner, world champion. He tried to teach me everything in the best possible way, and uh, I was just a young kid, and I was not always. Uh, except, except, accepting his um, his uh, his comments advice. or his ha- advice, so we had quite some some arguments. Um, but at the end of the day, I always had to give him right. Yeah, he was right. At the end of the day, it was clear. But at the moment, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Or yeah, <laughs> uh, that's. I think that's just typical of any teenage boy and and his, his dad i think hopefully you guys you and liam don't have that but it's, it's just kind of normal i think yeah we have it less we have it less I, I try in a way to communicate a little bit better than my dad did but it's still not easy for me and sometimes i get also a bit excited and, yeah. and i get a little pissed off at what i see what he's doing and then yeah you know then you have some arguments and I try. I try to do my best from my side to do it differently than my dad did, but have the same effect. Right. I understand. I, I can totally concur with that. One of the coolest things I think from your career is that you did the eight seven five, which is one twenty five, two fifty, five hundred world champion, and I think you're one of three or two, two, two. You and Eric. Yeah, there was a few guys who nearly won also three, and that was uh, Joe B. But he missed the one to five. Okay. And then my dad, who missed the five hundred, oh. uh, and then Eric was the first one who did it. Uh, I, I remembered he went back to the two fifty class in nineteen eighty seven to win his two fifty title, and then go back to the five hundred. So he he really had that planned at one stage in his career that he wanted really to go for that 875 right. title. Right, he, he took a step sort back. of back yeah. to, to win it. So it's a pretty big accomplishment. I mean, yeah. it's not even possible today, but I think that that's really cool. That's one thing that, you know, not many people even really know 
existed then and yeah that you have it in your pocket as a, an accomplishment yeah eric was the first one i'm the second and last one uh and there will never ever be another one because of the changes yeah. now in classes and uh that we don't have the one to five anymore anyhow uh, it was it was one of my dreams because i i believed that i wanted to be a complete rider right who could prove it on any kind of motorcycle and after that i even did it on a four stroke yeah um, so that was, yeah, one of my ambitions that I wanted to prove to everybody that I can do it on any kind of uh, bike. Yeah, I think your your riding style was one of the m- most unique things about your career. You were always standing, always so smooth, but also your your riding style really reflects your lifestyle as well. Just a uh, a normal down to earth, super mellow guy. Like that's just who you are, and and it, it reflected in your riding. But you were always such a quiet worker. Like, you never really heard much about what you were doing off the bike or at the practice track or anything like this. It was just you doing work and then you winning GPs. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, of course, you didn't you didn't know me in the 90s because you wasn't there yet. Yeah. <laughs> you was not even born. Or, just a young guy. <laughs> or still a young kid. But in the 90s, I had my, my moments and... I uh, at some stages I was so uh, confident that I, I I talk a lot in the press and it was also the years I was racing against Greg Albertine and uh, we had a, a kind of a, a battle not uh, only on the track but also off the track in the newspaper Greg was living in Belgium and uh, he was kind of popular here he had yeah. uh, already quite some fans here uh, Belgian fans and and I, I was always there and I was I was said what I was thinking and, yeah. and that's not always smart to do sometimes uh, you have to be diplomatic and uh, but after I had my tough years uh, with injuries and that Husky year and then I returned back uh, with uh, Team Rinaldi 2001 I, I came back as a, as a different Stefan uh, I changed I had a, a different way of uh, communicating and uh, I've worked differently also experience you know and to be uh, out with injuries for a while and puts you on the side to think a lot and what went wrong and what can right. we change and what we need to do to come back and be strong. But I never lost my faith in myself to, to still come back and win. And uh, I did. I did then six championships in a row and uh, I ended my career on the highest level that I could. That's uh, pretty incredible. I mean, just... Yeah, like I said th- two or three times already, the, being in this place and seeing the amount of trophies and accomplishments and, and things, it's just it's unbelievable that you were able to be so focused and so one-track minded to just make it happen every year without fail, basically, for, especially for the last six six titles. Yeah, it, it, it takes... Um I think it's not so difficult. It's it's your focus needs to be in the right place, and if if you are doing a lot of other things besides what what you have to do, and that's racing, then uh, it's easy to get more uh, injured and and that you're not racing at your best. It's finding that perfect formula, and I always say it's 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 a triangle you have to put together on the track, and that's that's your bike, the track, and yourself. Yeah. And if you make those three work together, you can find the flow and and the rhythm then you can start to push and, and put in fast laps. And that's what we need to get every time you go out there on the track, is to find that triangle. 
yeah. combination. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good theory. I've never really heard it that way or thought of it that way, but like just staying healthy is such a huge part of our sport, and you were able to do that, you know, pretty much year in and year out. And but the, the, for every injury that happens to any kind of rider, there's a, there's a, um, an explanation for it. There's a reason why you get injured. If you think back about your um, your injuries that you had yourself, you really go deep into it and you just go back. And it's it's sometimes also things that happens in your private life yep, that for sure. you, you take on your motorcycle. When you are a kid, everything goes easy, but the older you get, the more sensitive you get and, and the more focused you will have to uh, work. Um, my preparation back then, uh, I was in, in Monaco and I, I just did... I just was eating, sleeping, and training. And all the rest was the problem of my wife. Yeah. She took care of all the rest. Organization, planning, whatever. I was just doing three things. I was eating, sleeping, and training. That's pretty awesome. I mean, th- but that's what it takes, you know. The, the If you want to become the best, that's the way to go. Yeah, the w- it only takes one tiny blip of focus about something else that you needed to do or going to do this afternoon or something like this and and you know an injury can come or or happen and that's that's how i'm working with liam now i try to make a really good schedule for him that when we go out riding his focus is there and and that that he's ready to to if something goes wrong he has a good reaction yeah to save his things and and until now he's, he's doing good I see he's in a good way and when you do too many things and there's too many distractions beside it it's it's never good we have to keep the focus the, the risk that we take on our motorcycles is so very high that we have to try and erase as many risk uh, issues as exactly. possible yeah I understand completely it's just a game of risk management at, at some point yeah. um, you mentioned earlier you're uh, you raced a little bit in America with a couple of supercrosses here and there, and um, I've done uh, ninety-two six uh, supercrosses. How was that? <clears throat> it was a fantastic experience. I was a young boy, a young kid still, and I got the opportunity uh, also from Suzuki to go there. And we travel around. I, my first supercross was Houston, so I, I just arrived there on, on on Thursday with the plane and just start riding and didn't even test the bike and no supercross went, nothing just straight to houston supercross yeah straight to I, I i had some supercrosses in the winter here in, yeah. in, in belgium but i i was in the army for one month just before because i had to do this um this army thing yeah, so i i had not a lot of training and practice <laughs> so i showed up there and got into the main event and just took a really good start i was in third position for 12 laps and then fatigue hit me and I just dropped back I think to P12 or something but the first impression was good in, in, in Houston uh, and the Superdome uh, yeah. place there was was, uh, was really nice. I have some good memories. Uh, I did a lot of crashes also. <laughs> I hit Bob Hanna one time in his face because I was explaining what happened in San Diego Supercross and he was he was just coming to ask me a question for the TV and I just explained to my mechanic, oh, that happened and I just hit Bob Hanna in his face. Oh, no way. <laughs> so, Did he freak out? No, no, it was it was, a, it, was accident. A, it was an accident. It was a funny thing, but uh, we did. I did the Daytona uh, Supercross was a just to be there that whole week to see the Harley Davidson. It's on, cool atmosphere. Uh, it's, right? oh, it was so cool. Yeah, it was amazing, amazing time. We were talking earlier um, before we started about 
like small career decisions that could have made a, a huge impact one way or the other. And, and you were talking about that you had the opportunity to go there and, um, and race in America full time. Um, but you chose to stay here and if, if you had gone there, then maybe you wouldn't have so many trophies or so many championships. Do you, you obviously don't regret it, but do you ever think maybe what, what could have happened? Yeah, not not anymore. Uh, I think at that time when I made the decision, I was sure of 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 that decision that I took, and um, I think I still made the right decision. Yeah. Um, you know, um, after my one to five championship in ninety one, I was really really focused. Okay, next thing is to go to US first to win the two fifty championship and then go to US, but. That 250 championship took me a bit longer than I expected, and then I came to uh, a point that my age was maybe a little bit too high to to go back into Supercross. So I made a wise decision and, and say, okay, stay uh, in Europe and focus on on the championships here. And then um, a few years later, I got a really serious offer from Roger. And uh, was uh, I think during the end of, end of '99 we had the Butts Creek GP. Okay. And uh, I think Roger saw me racing there, and uh, he was uh, quite impressed. And then he called me afterwards, and uh, he said, "Yeah, are you interesting to come and race the U.S. Nationals?" And I was very flattered by uh, his phone call and uh, his interest. So, but uh, at that time, Dave Grant was my manager and he had a lot of influence on me and we had a big husky deal on the table back then and i was like yeah whatever bike it is i will do it yeah but that was a uh, wrong thinking and then we went into a very difficult season 2000 was and at maybe that time i was like yeah what would have happened mm-hmm. when i would have offered uh, off- or took the offer from roger um but we got it back on rails in 2001. Uh, team uh, Yamaha Rinaldi offered me uh, a deal, and it was not much, but I was like, yeah, that's a team to be on and, and to get back on rails and, and to get everything sorted out. And I, I always believed in myself that I still could come back yeah. after those difficult years, and I did. We were downstairs uh, looking at your Yamahas, and the first Rinaldi bikes were basically... I mean, things I've never even seen before and things that no one, most people have never seen before as far as prototype and, and all that. How how special were those first Yamahas? Well, they were very special, uh, especially when you you was coming from a Husky bike, uh, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I never taste, tasted so much with that Husky that I did the, the past 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible. We couldn't get that bike right. And then... Um, my first ride on the Yamaha, I was like, yeah, I mean, this this is this is like a Rolls Rolls. <laughs> um, but if you look at the bike now, it, it was a quite big bike. It was a huge bike. It's a huge bike, and but I I felt good at the time on it, um, and uh, they are very special. Yeah, it's it's a prototype bike. You will never find in uh, production anywhere. So there's only a few left of them, uh, and uh, I'm very proud of them. Yeah, you told me that you always had it in your contract to take like a, a, a basically 
a race bike for for that uh, for the, for your museum, and I think that's so cool. I have um, two of my championship bikes, and and they're basically completely straight off the podium uh, as they were, and it's it's one of the most special things for me um, just to look at those bikes. And I think in fifteen years, maybe they're not as cool as your completely one-off Yamahas, but they'll they'll still be pretty neat. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, it's it's a, it's a quite of a funny story. Uh, where I got the idea from was from Eric Bors. When I was a kid, um, I um, I went to his house, and um, he had his bikes, his winning bikes at, at the time was a one two five from eighty one and eighty two in his living room, and I was like, "Wow, that's really really cool! I want to have that also <laughs> one day." And then when I start to got my first contract with his brother Silve, when I did the one two five team, I said. I just want one thing in that contract is to have when I one day win a championship I want to have that original bike yeah and you know from that first contract that I've signed I always had it in as as a standard yeah uh, the, clausal uh, yeah and uh yeah, I've been lucky that I've won 10 championships and now I have 10 championship bikes so that's really cool um you I heard this story one time uh that you would take an ice cream every day. Is that true? No, it was not an ice cream. It was actually um, a, a sweet beer. Oh, okay. So, so there was a little bit of truth. Yeah, there's some truth. Um, <clears throat> it was the year 2003. That's the year um, we I start to double the GPs at one point. Okay. So I did MX2 and I did MXGP. And it was one single motor. Was one single motor. We had um, yeah three motors a day. It's a bit a bit like uh, uh, MotoGP now. Yeah. One to five to fifty five hundred. And um, my um, my engineer from KYB at the time, Jan Bertels, uh, he always had uh, we call it Creek beer. It's cherry beer. Okay. So it's very sweet beer. It's not it's not a lot of um, alcohol percentage yeah. in, inside of it, but we made a deal in the beginning of the year that each each race or each EP we would drink a beer together on Saturday. Okay. And yeah, in the beginning I just did one one moto, but then on the fourth GP we decided to do double. We would double the GP, so right. MX2, MX uh, MX GP. So I did I drink two beers. Uh, but after two beers, <laughs> you, your, your head started to be a little bit more light. Yeah. So I was very Take relaxed three. to go sleeping. So I had a really good night. And then, uh, yeah, I did good. I won in Italy was the first one I did, Montevarchi. Really Italian hard pack track. So I won the MX2 class, easy. And then I jumped on the uh, MXGP class and... Straight away, I was on the gas. I knew the lines. I knew everything. So I won also the MXGP. So that was a good thing. So I said to Jan, we have to keep doing this. We have to keep drinking our beer. So it beer. became kind of like a, a, a ritual almost. Exactly. And then the last GP, I decided to do the three GPs, also the 650. Okay. So then we said, okay, then we have to drink three beers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's so, so cool. I, so I love we did, stuff like that. And we did that. Um, and I won the three GPs. Skosh, accessories for life. Listen, guys, their slogan sums it up. They are accessories for your life. I use the Magic Mount vent clip every day, boom bottle all the time, go bat when we're traveling. Whatever it may be, the functionality and durability of these products is second to none. That's why myself and Rockstar and J Husqvarna Factory Racing choose Skosh, accessories for life. Check them out at Skosh, S-C-O-S. 
S-C-H-E.com. Speaking of GPs, like, what, what do you think of the state of GPs now compared to GPs when, when you were racing? Well, yeah, that's hard to, to say. Of course, there's uh, some differences. Um, you see that the teams uh, developed uh, much better, bigger. There's more GPs. I think the intensity is higher. The, um, I, I, I mean the intensity for the teams to travel, to work. Right. Um, the pressures just went up I think more for the teams than for the riders okay eventually for the riders it gets more tougher to do more traveling and, and more GPs I think it's um, it's quite a lot it's quite a lot um, tracks have been changed they made them shorter from the past um, and some of them they look always a bit familiar they look yeah. a bit the same cookie cutter yeah if you have those built new build tracks you always have the same jump right. you have always the same waves uh, I prefer more the old school tracks if you see Loket yeah. or Sweden th- those are more uh, natural tracks than yeah. like Turkey or uh, Indonesia I mean they, they look quite similar to me right. and yeah that's that's a pity uh, we need to keep those natural tracks more inside yeah I, th- I think it's it's really cool how many or just how much history there is in in Europe as far as tracks go and um, places that, that you go racing and that. But, yeah, th- I think a little bit of that's been lost over the past couple of years, which is a bit of a bummer, really. But I, I, I kind of thought you would have a, a little bit more of an opinion on that, to be honest. Like, I thought you would think it you know it needed to be super traditional but you seem okay with the way it is no i think we have to develop our sport and we have to develop certain things but uh, yeah i don't know it's just we need to think we have some good riders out there some we've lost to to us yeah like ken roxon and marvin but i mean that's the way it is it's been like this for quite some years anyhow uh, we still have some interested riders here some interesting characters I think now with Jorge Prado coming up it's yeah. going to be very uh, interesting for the MXGP class um, I I prefer to see more uh, more winners than just one domination like last year uh, Erlings did yeah. he dominated the whole year I think it's not good for the sport Things better what happened this year. Mm. Um, I mean, not with all the injuries. Yeah. Like we had a lot of injured riders. Just parity in general, like yeah. different people winning. And yeah, and that's also good for the teams and for the sponsors that everyone has a little bit of the Chance. cake. Yeah, I understand. Um, you alluded earlier to maybe that at one point before your 250 title took more more time than you thought the the goal was to go to the u.s uh maybe more in the beginning of your career that was sort of where you were aimed at um why do you think more people don't have that goal now uh more gp riders that's a good question um you know there's there's plenty of guys who have plenty like prado i've seen prado ride supercross and he's really good like plenty of skills and definitely still young enough to to go and race supercross and do well you know why after two titles and and he's only 18 17 18 why not go to the u.s why stay here yeah that's a good question uh he seemed to be very sure of his thing to go to u.s quite early yeah but then 
or he changed his mind and he said, okay, I want to focus on another championship or, or, or and, and move up, like in this case, now he has to move up to MXGP and go for another championship, or it was maybe also a little bit of push from KTM mm-hmm. to keep him here. That's also a possibility, I don't know. But the older you get, the more uh, danger it gets that that dream is going to fade, fade and, and goes away. This is what happened to me. Um, and maybe this is also going to happen to Prado that eventually you say, no, I'm, uh, I like it here too much. Why I should be a small fish in a, in a big pool yeah. and then to be a big fish in a, in a small pool. Yeah, it is. a. I mean, people, obviously everyone thinks that the goal is Supercross all the time, but that's not really the case because especially on, on a high level here, the money is really good. And also, yeah, why take the the risk or put yourself out there to to move you know like why it's a big risk yeah and 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 i think when you're younger you think less about all these things but the older you get and the more smarter you get the more you will think about and i'm more of a thing now it's like if if you go to us they all think it's 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 uh it's so great rainbows and butterflies and but it's not because you have to do a long season supercross then you need to jump off to uh, the nationals it's quite intensive a lot of traveling it's it's the double of racing it's the double maybe you for some riders they can earn the double but you have to work also the double yeah for sure you have to travel the double you have uh, those hot conditions in the summer extreme hot conditions that we don't have here so you have to look at the big picture and and compare it to each other what is then the best to stay here or or go there yeah it's a very big challenge if you go there fly racing believes that our highest obligation is to provide the best products to riders worldwide with the formula helmet fly racing set out with one simple goal deliver the most technologically advanced highest performing motocross and off-road helmet the world has ever seen five years of development later that dream has been realized check out formula.flyracing.com to learn more also at some point like it's it's almost like starting over from square one because yeah it's still racing motocross and all that but you go to a new country you ride new tracks learning basically a completely new discipline supercross and and all that like I think that that's why that whole not dream is dead, but that whole dream is much more rare. Let's say for for the top top guys. Yeah, yeah, it's more rare. And in my time, we had all those uh, supercrosses, those indoor races here, like Paris, uh, yeah. Bercy, and we had Spain. I don't know how many you had in Scandinavia. We had everywhere supercrosses, and I also grew up with that. It came, you know, it, it came over here, and it was for a, a certain period. It was f- so popular here, but then that started to go away. And I also felt that I, I needed to have some time off. I started with GP season. Uh, the winter time was only indoor supercrosses. Yeah. Then the GP started again, indoor supercrosses. Nothing and off. Nothing off. And after five years, I started to get the injuries. Yeah. I started to be tired. I, I needed to have a break. So, And everyone needs to have a break in the year. Right. You need to be away from the motorcycle. You need to take some time off of racing. You cannot keep going because your career will only be shorter. And that's what we see with some of the riders in the U.S., like uh, Dungey, like Ricky. They, they didn't have a really long career because they, they were so much worn racing. out. Yeah. 
Um, do you have a favorite win? Favorite GP win? Well, I, I, I have a few. There's not just one. But one of the high ones is where I passed Demaria in the last turn just before the finish line in the Austrian GP okay. 2002. I think I've seen that. Was it, it was wet, yeah? No, no, it was not wet. No, it was, uh, it was a dry. And I, I didn't lead for one lap. Yeah. But the last turn I made the pass and I took the win. Oh. Um, I saw... I don't know why I remember this. Well, I do, actually. There was a video uh, from 2005 called Paste. Have you seen it? No. From It's from Adam Wheeler. Adam Wheeler made it. Oh, yeah. uh, it was a GP video, and it kind of highlighted the whole 2005 season. Um, but there was when you had the crash in um, South Africa oh, yeah. on the last lap. Oh, yeah, that was a terrible one. <laughs> I, if you really look good at the video, you see that I hit a rock while yeah. I land, and the sparks Perfectly. and the sparks flew out of the the frame and and the rock, yeah. and and that kind of. But I was so unlucky that I just waved at the crowd, yeah. and everyone thinks, yeah, he, because he waved at the crowd, he, he crashed. So it made me look really stupid. Yeah. So I got on my bike really quick. And I, I was still in the lead because I had a quite big lead uh, on, on, I think, Coppens for yeah. second. And I, I, I started and I kicked my bike. Everything went great and I started. And then my front wheel started to block. What happened was the, um, the dirt went into my front brake. Right, and locked and, the brake up. And locked the brake up. Mm. So, and then I had to stop again. I, I was nearly crashing a few times and then I stopped after a while but then Coppens catched me yeah. and, and he won a half a lap to go before the finish so I was kind of bummed and very very pissed off <laughs> what uh what else what other GPs stick out to you I mean there's 101 of them but some of them have to be more special than others yeah one year in Namur we had a really mud race and um I think I I made a small crash in the first moto. I dropped back to P9, and then it was only one line to the track because it was very muddy, very wet, and it was nearly impossible to pass because everyone was just following each other, and uh, I was I, I starting to get annoyed by it, and I I, I, I asked myself. Or I told myself, I said, there must be a place to pass. There is always a place to to pass on a track. You just need to find it, where it is. And then we came uh, one lap. We came up to that really difficult downhill. This was 05, right? Yeah, I think it was 05. Yeah, because it, 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 the video highlights this too. You pass like every single yeah, guy. Every lap, I, I said, okay, I'm going to get him there. <laughs> So, Straight pass. So the whole the lap, I was already setting up my pass. Right, so you just need you knew you needed had to be close. Yeah, when you got to be there. close, and and everyone started to go off uh, off the gas quite early because it was a very tricky down, and I, I just took that extra risk. But I was confident, and I just kept the gas a little bit longer open. And I just break them out and, yeah. and block past them just to go down that hill, and it worked every lap. So it's like what Tony did. Um, couple of years ago in Arco di Trento yeah I saw that also it was basically the same what I did in, in Namur uh, 2005 so that that was such a great feeling just to to be able to do that is one of the highlights uh, what was your favorite GP track uh, Fox Hill for a long time uh, 
at one point they call it uh, Everett Hills <laughs> instead of Fox Hills and uh, also Namur Namur mm-hmm. was a uh, yeah I raced Fox Hills but Namur was one of uh, you know as a kid I always saw Namur on TV and, and stuff and that was one GP that I always wanted to race but and I think that they had it the year that I came but I I was uh, too late in the season so I never 2007 I think was the last seven was last okay was I came in 2008 so the yeah. year before yeah. but I always wanted to race there and I, n- I never got to that's one GP I wish I could have raced well, <clears throat> my first time I rose I rode uh, Namur was in 1998 with the wild card mm. I was still uh, on the two stroke it was um, that 500 CR was built by Cliff White in US mm-hmm. he built a 500 CR engine into a 250 chassis aluminium okay. chassis and with that bike I raced Namur in 98 but my first practice because at that time we had three practice sessions on Saturday from I believe it was two times an hour and then we had a <laughs> 45 minutes time practice so we had a lot of track time on, on Saturday but the first uh, practice out there I was like man this is the scariest track I ever ridden <laughs> because all these trees and you go into that forest and then you come outside on the on the citadel you have the light changes the yeah. switches of light you have the the roots from the trees uh, that track has so many other extra obstacles that you have to deal with while racing it was crazy like a labyrinth of a motocross track yeah exactly. um I know you guys are about to go right in, and uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Liam and and how he's doing, and you know, kind of how that got started. Obviously, you didn't push for it to start. I have sort of the same issue right now with my little boy. He, as much as I don't want him to ride, he's so keen on on bikes. You know. Yeah, it, it's it. You know, uh, it brings you double emotions for me. Also, I was like, oh yeah, it's nice to see him race and and to see him these things. But from the other hand, it's like. But, uh, you you know, know the true risk. And yeah, you know, every time the risk he's taking, and then after every training session or every race, I'm like, oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you, God, yeah. we can go home safe in one piece. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he got the passion really early, a bit like me. He's, he's a little bit a copy of myself, and uh, yeah, he, he likes he likes racing a lot. And although it's not the same like how I grew up with racing. Um, his time is completely different now, and uh, but he's he likes it and he's been working hard for it. He's um, he's been focused and yeah, he enjoys it. That's nice. That's nice. It's it's cool that you guys can kind of experience t- it together in a in a nice way. I think. Yeah, we do. Um, he's got some difficult shoes to fill in. Yeah. Uh, very difficult. He knows that. Um, and uh, sometimes we have some issues about it and uh, I can also see that sometimes in his racing that it's not going like it should be like he's riding in the week he's always riding really really good but yeah. then some in the weekends it's still but at the end of the day he's only 15 he just turned 15 uh, in August so uh, we still need to give him a bit of time to develop also his mental side yeah. uh, he's, he's still small and little so uh, we are already riding with the 250 four stroke now just to build up some strength but plan is to keep another year uh, to race another year on the EMX 125 next year on oh, okay I didn't know that, that yeah. I think that'll be really good for him but maybe do combination of more uh, some more 250 races yeah. and EMX 125 sure uh, 
This is the goal, like the championship yeah. goal. Yeah, championship goal. Nice. Yeah. All right, Stefan. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I always end these with 10 just fun personality questions. Um, guilty pleasure food. I like a lot of the candy, hard candy. Okay. Sweets, uh, like uh, salty or, yeah. Okay. Um, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go? Well, I've traveled a lot. I've seen a lot of countries. Um, I still would like to go one time back to Norway. Norway is a fantastic country I've seen once, but there's lots more to see. Yeah, it's a, an amazing place. I lived there for a few few months with uh, my old trainer and uh, Kenneth Gunderson, and it's yeah. it's so nice. It is um, pet peeve or something you find annoying. Uh, you know, it's less and less. In the past, it was really, really um, when people could smoke everywhere. Oh, okay. Uh, but when somebody's smoking and you get that smoke <laughs> in your face. Fair enough. I, it knows me, annoys me uh, really much. Yeah, in America now, it's kind of gone away. And then when we got here, the first thing that we noticed uh, was the smoking. And my wife was like, oh, man, I hate the smoking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other talent or skill you could have, what would it be? Uh, I always said to my wife, I can only do one thing in my life, that's ride a motorcycle, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, I, I like music a lot, so I, I've tried to play a little bit with my drums, uh, but no, it's not for me, uh, I don't know, I don't know what else I could have been, been doing in my life besides racing, uh, um, no, I don't know. That's okay. Um, thing you're the worst at? Planning. Planning? Yeah. Usually when I plan something, it goes wrong. <laughs> I'm a disaster on plannings. Um, thing you're the best at other than motocross? Uh, making gins. Okay, making <laughs> gin. Um, travel back or forward in time to any event, what would it be? I would travel back. For sure, back. But I, I would say um, the 70s, any, okay. any kind of uh, GP, just to go back to that atmosphere. Experience. Experience. Um, I think for me, one of the best times of, of race, of motocross in history, the 70s. Okay. Uh, what kind of music do you like? Uh, I'm, I like um, a lot of uh, hits, like uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, okay. uh, dance, rock. Any era, kind of. Yeah, maybe a little bit less rap. Uh, Eminem, I, I, it's still okay. Okay, um, I didn't have you pictured as an Eminem kind of guy. Yeah, I know I do. I okay. do. I do like him, but I also like corn. <laughs> so it's completely different. Um, tea or coffee? Hot tea. Never, uh, I never drink coffee in my life. Really? Never. Why is that? I just don't like the taste okay. of it. Okay. Um, a quote to live by. Um, always expect the unexpected. Um, yeah, that's one of my quotes. Um, I have a few more, but I can't. That's think a good one. I like that. It's um, fits a lot of of places in life. I think. Yeah, especially in racing. Yeah. Um, all right, Stefan, uh, every guest that comes on the show gets a, a Skosh gift bag. Skosh is a company in America that makes uh, like phone gadgets and, and speakers and this kind of thing. I didn't bring the bag with me, but I'll have it sent back to you. Um, thank you. So thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for allowing me in your home and, and uh, showing me around. You're welcome. Uh, it was uh, great talking, and uh, I wish you all the best with the rest of your career, and 
try and win a few more championships. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you.